Conversations. In this early chat, the team initially behind the podcast got together to discuss the shared mystery of the missing middle class in both the United States and Australia. Ed Blakely, as always, is a former Washington insider, an internationally recognised leader in urban development and planning, advisor and author. Tina Quinn is a public and social affairs journalist, born and raised in Australia, with a particular interest in the US-Australia alliance. And my name is Sean Britton, journalist, author, and one of the two hosts of the other podcast, US of Ed, discussing weekly US news and current affairs. This is a new program about what the United States is going through, but not only the United States, Australia. We're joined at the hip, and this show will reflect that. And the first reflection of that was we have proud boys in both countries. <laughs> Income inequality was the background of the riots or insurrection we saw in Washington, D.C., not long ago. That insurrection was led not by poor little people from West Virginia, but firemen, people who work in banks, realtors, and the like, all MAGAs and mad. And they're mad for a good reason. Their lifestyles have been pinched very much, much before COVID. The American middle class is on a steep decline. In 2000, 46% of Americans could say they're middle class. Now, it's under 50. Uh, it's under 40%. This is a decline that is precipitating. Not only is it participating uh, with the people who have good jobs, which are disappearing, but many of the industrial jobs, the manufacturing jobs are disappearing. Thus, we have a lost dream. And that dream has not been lost just in America. It's been lost in Australia. Tina? Absolutely, Ed. It's a dream that has, the great Australian dream, has been in decline for many years. Um, we are now seeing, and what's most remarkable and what is mirroring what's, what's happening in the United States is working class voters, blue collar voters, who used to vote for parties uh, with strong ties uh, to the unions, with unionisation, uh, they're now turning to, uh, to... They're becoming conservative voters. Uh, they don't believe anymore that they they still have um, that, you know, the Labor government, for instance, here in Australia, which you would, I guess, would be on par with the Democratic Party in the United States. Uh, they don't believe that they any longer have their best interest at heart, that uh, the people that are going to look after them are the conservative governments. So, for instance, here in Australia, it's the Liberal Party. In America, that's the Republican Party. Um, and it, it's quite a remarkable shift, and it's taken place over the last three decades for uh, um, you know, a, a huge um, menagerie of different reasons. So... We're looking forward to discussing that today. And to help us do so, we've got an expert <laughs> on both American politics and an Australian. So, Sean Britton, welcome welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Tina. Pleasure. Welcome, Sean. Uh, Sean, we both try to 
in brief, characterize this problem. <laughs> uh, you've seen it from both ends, from the mega end and from the end of people marching in the streets here uh, because they're not getting it. And how do you see this? What are the equivalents? You characterize equivalents in terms of work, in terms of homes, jobs, and future between both countries. Yeah, look, I think you summarised it very well um, in your introduction right there. I think we'll get into some of maybe the differences that, that hold some key um, some key distinctions in America and Australia as well. But in terms of the uh, similarities we see in the countries right now, you've captured the shrinking middle class. Uh, we are seeing an end to the, the factory jobs, to jobs that sort of create something uh, within both countries now, and that's kind of left a very long legacy um, in both countries. But I think... In terms of similarities, those situations are very, very similar in both the United States and Australia. We've seen an end to manufacturing as one of the key components of both nations. Here in Australia, that's obviously one that's been really struggled with as terms of an identity uh, as as a country that makes things when we've seen the likes of, of car manufacturers and, and such shutting down within yeah, Australia. I all automobile manufacturing is gone from Australia. Completely, uh, completely uh, a dead industry here. In, uh, and, and, and that was a hard one in terms of Australian identity um, as a manufacturer to, to really accept. So I think the similarities uh, are very, very close there in the United States and Australia in terms of we're seeing a, a huge downturn in manufacturing. We're seeing a working class um, that is uh, working class that is fearing for work fearing for their identity uh, on top of everything else and that shrinking middle class. The middle class feeling um, that they are working class in and of themselves. They, you know, they, yeah. they face those same issues. We've been talking about identity politics. Let me give you some identity politics. When I first came here to Australia, everyone told me they had to live on a quarter acre block. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. In Sydney, where I live now, over 50% of the population lives in apartments. When I came here 20-some years ago, it was less than a third. Mm. That dream's gone. The other dream that's gone for the American is a suburban dream. You used to move out to the suburbs. First, the whites moved out with government funding and financing, both with roads and the FHA gave you a loan to buy a house in the suburbs if you weren't black. <laughs> So this separation, you could see yourself as a middle-class white person. Mm. Just look around the neighborhood. Mm. They all look like me. Mm. In Australia, look at the neighborhood, Western Sydney. I remember people had some goats and stuff in their front garden. The government had delivered housing to the housing commissions. Where's that gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, a big part of the reason identity is it was forefront of my mind when speaking about that one is, is what Tina was kind of getting at there in terms of what the politics are seeing with Labor and Democrats and such a left-wing politics is um, is that they are struggling for an identity. Mm-hmm. They are struggling to understand who they are. And uh, as you say, we're seeing this, this shrinking. Uh, the American and the Australian dream, very, very similar in that term. The, the 2.4 kids, uh, the 2.4 kids in, a, in a, the house with a white picket fence, the dog, and, the, and Australia sort of focused a little bit more on the land, that quarter-acre block um, aspect of it, but I think the American one was big backyard, still similar kind of thing. And we have seen that shrink with, uh, with the population and the demands 
on the kinds of work that now exist, the kinds of work that exist require more people moving to more urban centres um, where, you know, up until uh, up until recently we were, you know, thinking of uh, in terms of um, accessibility to, yeah. to the work itself. Yeah. Um, that's just the nature of that's just the nature of the work. If you stop manufacturing, you're not people going to factories anymore. You are doing these kind of knowledge industry tasks. You need to be where other people working in that industry were, and we saw that greater greater focus on well, urban centres. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things when I came here. My wife had grown up in Albury, a town that had factories, mills. People love living there. Can't be done now. Hmm. What about young people like you? Um, well, I mean, we're sort of a bit busy um, having avocado on toast for <laughs> breakfast at cafes, and that's where all our well, savings are going, apparently. <laughs> Uh, so we've been you told, pardon, what was that? Where are you getting a job, latte liberal? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Well, I, I, that's the thing. I mean, job security going into the... I, I don't think it's that... I actually, um, not even just with millennials, but I speak a lot with um, you know, Gen Zers, and I'm actually quite impressed with... Um, the financial acumen that I'm actually seeing from some of these people, they're, you know, they're, they can actually be quite savvy, um, my generation and even the generation just before me, um, in, in terms of finances, but a lot of them feel that they need to be because it's, uh, they, the thought of buying a house or, you know, being able to, this great dream of being able to, you know, pay off, a mortgage for the rest of your life. Which, I mean, there's issues with that dream, I, I well, think, I anyhow. Think but my daughter wish she could have it. She's turning 40 and doesn't yeah. have a house. And when she was born, yeah. she was born into a big house right. in a nice neighborhood in Oakland, California. Yeah. And she won't see that. No. My, myself and my partner are having the same debate now. Yeah. We're, we're looking at at, uh, at a housing deposit and thinking, well, where do you spend this? Do you, do you, do you go out further and, and get a house for the yard or do you stay closer into the urban centres, into the city and mm-hmm. and get yourself a decent apartment? You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of struggling thinking forward into the future. Now, my dad uh, was a custodian, worked his way up mm. to superintendent mm. buildings for the county of the end. Had a nice house. Clearly, we're separated, not segregated. Nice neighborhood. Everybody's lawns were nice, and so on. My dad expected I'd have that. Yeah, I had it, and I had one job. Mm-hmm. My dad retired from the company. Who does that anymore? Yeah, I think actually to the point you were making about the financial. Uh, acumen of Generation Zers. I think millennials were caught a little bit with their pants down on that on that um, uh, financial situation as they were growing up. They all of a sudden realised, oh, look, I saw what my parents had and I expected to have that for myself. Yeah. And hang on a second, wait, that economy is not there anymore. That those kind of jobs don't exist anymore with Generation Z. They've seen that, yeah. They've seen that since they were kids. They never saw that situation with their own parents, where it's like, "Oh, this is easy. This is just what we're expecting to happen." So, so what's going to happen? Oh, sorry. There was a great cartoon I I, I saw a couple of years ago, about um, you know, it it said, "Remember, remember when our parents used to tell us, you know, um, to you know, quiet down or um, you know, to behave." (laughs) Otherwise, they'd give us something to cry about. Mm. You know, little did we know that they meant they were actually referring to the housing market. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we've, uh, 
I, and, and that's the thing, it's the generation really before the millennials. Um, you know, the, the first entry into, I guess, the millennials um, were probably contributed as well to that. They were sort of coming off the back of it. But, you know, I was born towards the end of that um, generation. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something... How do you put together a, an occupation, a career mm, mm, now mm. in Australia? You go to university. Well, it depends what, yeah. What do you come out with? Yeah. A piece debt. of paper mm. and debt. Yeah, debt, yeah, yeah, debt, yeah. debt, debt. I went to university. It was $100 a year. Yeah. And I played free. Mm. So the university paid me. <laughs> I thought my kids would have the same. Mm. When my kids went off from university, it was $200,000. The average American who has a university degree, their debt is higher than the job they will get to pay it off. Is that true in Australia? Uh, I think it comes pretty close. I think it comes pretty close. We've had, oh, and it's certainly heading that way if, mm. it's, if it's not already. The American education system is atrocious yeah. uh, when it comes to the privatisation we've seen in higher education and the knock-on effects from that one. Australia, thankfully, is not in that boat yet. Um, certainly, there is focus. There, it's it's definitely going that way. There's a more and more focus on privatisation, and they, you know, they don't have the government money. They're, they're losing them. And they're thinking, how can I make up for that gap in the funding? And so they are turning more and more towards, well, you know, like money making as a money making institution, not an educational institution anymore. Yeah, the businesses. Um, thankfully, with Hex here in Australia, you know, you can at least offset that in a way that is fairer i i am not saying you know it's it's a no, terrific no, system but you know hex yeah hex is you know essentially you're taking a loan out from the government um in order to fund your education so for anybody who's not um is not aware of higher education here in australia you are taking out a loan and you don't start paying that loan back until you are earning a certain amount of money per year. And a lot of people, you know, they, they never pay, pay that back, back eh? from directly from the paycheck. Directly so directly from the paycheck, paycheck comes yeah. out of your taxes. And it's proportionate. Mm. So it never reaches more than about 5% or so of your take-home mm. pay. So everybody can do it. Mm. Um, in the States, that's gone. Yeah. But what another thing that's changed in the States, a person with a high school degree, my father was one of the first to have high school, in Los Angeles got a good job mm. what does a high school degree give you in Australia look I mean it's it, it's very different for for, for different people and, it, and I think it's I, I've come up in a generation where we've all been told that we need to go and get that piece of paper to get a decent job and, and that's what we you know that's what you need to do I, look I, I don't think that's the only option but I don't think the generations that have just come up have been taught that there are other options. Yeah, so but the more I think important it's... thing here, I think, is education was the gateway. Mm. In it. That promise mm. has been lost. Oh, mm. completely. Mm. I think with the high school diploma, you know, you're definitely seeing um, more and more, uh, you know, focus on sales roles and, and people going into and how many people have unskilled to live in labor. How many people <laughs> have to live in an apartment if you have one of those jobs you just talked about, a retail job? Well, we're talking mm. about, like, entry-level sort of... Oh, well, I mean... Can you I used raise to work a family on that? I, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm not even just talking about um, retail sales. I'm also, you know, referring to, you know, you could go into more corporate 
um, ended sales. I mean, further on down the track, there are still, you know, there is still a decent living to be made on a high school diploma. Um, If you have a tree. Well, as I said, you know... um, I grew up in an area where there wasn't this expectation of higher education. Mm. So I think there is a real cultural divide uh, living in Sydney now compared to where Mm. I grew up. And there's a real cultural divide between that and the United States. Mm. Uh, In the United States, higher education is, from what I've seen, very much the mainstream idea. You cannot get a job without uh, without higher education you must go to college after high school it is getting that way here but certainly um, where I grew up there wasn't that expectation you got high school and then you got a job you got a trade maybe you went to university to pursue something that um, that required a lot more education like the the view of higher education where I grew up was like you know you really didn't need to go to university unless you were really pursuing something high level almost Um, so there's a real divide here in Sydney, though. I, I definitely see that attitude um, amongst all high schoolers. You absolutely do go to university, and maybe you're lucky you get a gap year. Um, right. let, let me change. Uh, let, before we leave this, the Australian wage nationally is about $20 an hour. Mm. The U.S. is 7 mm. That makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But before we go to who makes what, uh, who gets the chance? Immigrants in the United States and Australia. Donald Trump made a lot of this. Immigrants are taking jobs away from you. Mm-hmm. How does that play out in Australia? Oh, I think it definitely plays out. I think we. The, the other problem is we used to be a, a country that um, we we thrived. Our economy was really built up by permanent migration. You know, we're a fairly young country. We're a fairly new country. So if you you know looking. Um, looking past, you know, settlers and convicts and all that sort of thing. A lot of our... We've got so many different cultures living here because from, I would say, the 1940s onwards, we had, you know, a, a fair bit of... A, a mass migration coming out from Europe. And then in the most 19th... Most of it white. Mm. Most of it white, absolutely. And then Northern in the 19th... European. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, which was much more acceptable because, you know, you can kind of look like everybody else, so that's okay. But now... But in the 1970s, we started seeing, you know, much more, you know, there was uh, from Asian countries, for instance, mm-hmm. and that built up Lebanese. and built up over years. Lebanese, mm-hmm. exactly. Blacks from Africa. But, but we used to thrive on permanent migration and the, and the pathways to permanent migration used to be much easier. Our economy is now really kind of stacked up and held up by temporary migrants. So basically, people can come out here, spend, you know, an inordinate amount of money on a two-year visa, they can work, you know, with a company for, for however long. It's a set amount of time, and the company doesn't have to pay them that much because, you know, they, they're, they're getting them for a bargain, and then they ship them off back overseas. Um, there's not the pathway to permanency here, not the not the most, not the easiest pathway to permanency. Oh, we a lot about that in the United States. <laughs> exactly. So then it's just this revolving door. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's just this revolving door, and it's actually driving down. That's what's actually driving down wages here in Australia is the fact that we can, you know, and, and conservative governments, you know, they they talk about. Uh, I think they like to dog whistle about. Um, Basically, a white Australia, or you know, Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Not to not to sugarcoat it. It's basically what they're dog whistling for is a white Australia. Yeah. And 
but they're actually the ones enabling the temporary migrants to come in um, and giving corporations and companies the ability to keep wages, you know, driven down, and that affects all of us. So how do you see this? Mm. Well, actually, yeah, the dog whistling was kind of what I wanted to underline in terms yeah. of what we see with conservative guns. Absolutely true. Migra- you know, Australia you know, relies on migration, temporary and permanent, in terms of keeping the economy turning over. The way it's been used by conservative governments goes back to that point we were talking about earlier where left-wing governments here in Australia, Western nations around the world, have lost their identity as the party of the working class. Uh, left-wing politics, as it does, it, it expands out. But, it expands but, but, but into, look, look, those migrants are low-income. They should join the left-wing. Oh, yeah, yeah. They haven't been, have they? No, they absolutely haven't been. The way I see it, uh, the way I see it is, as I say, they've lost their identity. The left-wings lost their identity, and the Conservatives have been quick to pick up those mm-hmm. voters mm-hmm. that the left-wing is... Fear, that feel left behind. In fear, yeah. but... They don't give them anything. <laughs> no, this is exactly it. The conservatives could tell people, look, you're you're losing your, these jobs, these manufacturing jobs that once existed. You're losing these well-paying jobs and these middle-class jobs that once existed due to these very complicated economic factors. It's because of this and because and the global trade and this and this. Globalisation. That's, that's not working They're in a political sphere. Black. Yeah, this is it. We can't give them the complicated reasons. What conservatives feel very comfortable doing now is giving them a very, very simple reason. It's them. It's the other. It's the other in this scenario, this other in the situation. Those people people over there are the problem. Yeah, the women the joining well, the workforce. Well, that's the other thing: the women joining the workforce, yeah. and we're wanting more rights, and that's a that's a big issue. That's you know, poor men. But yeah. um, uh, absolutely, I I was having a conversation with um, as well uh, with someone not too long ago, and living out in one of, I guess what John Howard would have termed a battler suburb um, back in the day. But you know, and they were saying to me um, about referring to the last federal election. Um, between Labor and Liberal, and it was quite an overwhelming uh, win for the Liberals, for for the coalition. And he said to me, well, you know, look, I've been a swing voter all my life. I think they've got, you know, there's pluses and minuses to both. But the thing is, like, you know, if Labor had gotten in, um, and referring to the franking credits scheme, you know, they were going to, you know, us working class were going to be taxed for our investment properties were going to be taxed. And and I just, I didn't quite know how to react because I just thought it was hilarious that someone who actually, and I know for a fact, owns more than one investment property on top of the house that he already lives in, I found it astonishing and quite hilarious that he still classes himself as, as working class. Let's mm. talk about Christine Hanson. Do you mean Pauline Hanson? Yeah, yeah, right. Pauline who is she? Well, she came along at a very interesting time, and that was actually something I was going to. She's do. she's Trump. The mega she's, woman. Yeah, she's the mega woman. Yeah, That's correct. She's uh, she is Trump. Um, and I think that will draw into some of the distinctions we mm. see between mm. America and Australia. There's a very good reason why, um, in America, Trump became president of of the country, while in Australia certainly Hanson is uh, is a focal point for a lot of these energies, but is still 
the leader of a minor party that accomplishes very, very little, you know. Um, There's a real reason for that, and it's built into the political system, and I think it is built into the culture um, as well, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, compulsory voting has a lot to answer for, thankfully. Um, But, you know, yeah, absolutely, she is a a focus for those energies, those same energies we saw propel Donald Trump to leader of the country. female Trump. I think we want to close this off now uh, with uh, where do we go from here? There's a new administration in the United States. The administration here is relatively new, battling the same issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just heard the Labor Party was announcing something like 30,000 new manufacturing jobs. Are they going to fly in by little birds? <laughs> yeah. Queensland? Mm-hmm. Uh, please. What is public policy in Australia to deal with the dream gone wrong? Mm. Well, in terms of manufacturing jobs or um, even, I think, look, infrastructure is a really is a really big one here, actually. And the problem is, as well as that, and this is, conservative governments have been able to weaponize uh, climate change um, and completely politicize it. So. You know, now we're Ooh, still having. Yes, I mean, and then this is the thing; it's the same. You learned it from the United States. <laughs> I think we did. Yeah, I think we didn't sort of lick it off the ground. Um, we sort of, yeah, absolutely. I think that with the, the problem with that is, you know, now we're sort of getting stuck into basically debating something that, I mean, it's the silliest debating gravity, really. You know, whether climate change is real or not, and the big debate here is now switching over to gas. Um, or coal. But how does that affect the, the class struggle? But the thing is, is that with gas and coal, people are saying, oh, well, gas is a little bit more you know, environmentally friendly than coal, so we're trying like to move fracking. away from coal. Uh, yes, but then we've still got um, the nationals really advocating uh, not to move away from coal and that we can still have a future with coal. But the truth is that many Western democracies are going to, who we export a lot of um, our own um, resources to our own natural resources are actually phasing out using uh, coal and gas. I, I mean, I take that a step further and say there are vested interests, yeah. a lot of money behind the nationals who oh, are advocating for, right. uh, you know, like uh, this is it, follow the and money on all those, on those ones. Those lower income people yeah. who are keeping their jobs, living mm-hmm. poor mm-hmm. while they live rich. Mm. In the COVID time, the wealth of the wealthiest people in the world has gone up 20%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. While the poverty of the poorest person mm-hmm. has gone down mm-hmm. 40%. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's end this with worst policy in both countries. Where can Biden take us? Mm-hmm. Where can the government here take us? Well, just going off what you were saying, uh, Tina, infrastructure to me is mm-hmm. the is the most important, most obvious uh, direction we can possibly go. And the, for both countries. For both countries. For both countries. Uh, structure for the future, not for the past. Yeah. We've got a lot of things needing to be built for renewables, to be honest. And, and there's very good reasons why we should be switching to renewables and... This is absolutely yeah, a yeah. big country where there's yeah. a lot of renewables. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the United States, you've got the Green New Deal, um, which obviously echoes FDR's original New Deal, mm-hmm. got the country back on track, creating infrastructure, highways, bridges, dams. Um, that was what FDR was about. The Green New Deal 
solar farms, wind farms, renewable technologies. Uh, that's for the United States. Here, we don't have a snappy name for it, but it drives me a little bit mad um, when we talk about the coal industry here in Australia. It's not economically viable. Never mind all your your investment into it. Never mind the money that's going. It's just not going to be economically that's viable. What I was leading to, yeah. There are jobs. There are jobs. Mm-hmm. There is money um, in renewable energy, and we could have been, hopefully, still are poised as one of the top nations on earth to take advantage of that industry. And we didn't. We didn't take that because there were vested interests saying, no, hang on a sec, we still got a lot of coal on the ground to use. Mm. And I want to use that before we move on to renewables. We've got a lot of gas well, on ground that I earn that I want to use. That's about something above ground. Mm. Mm. Students have debt. Mm. Aren't they investment, not a debt? <laughs> Shouldn't both countries wipe that debt off the books so you can unleash talent mm. to move on? Mm. Well, Biden has, I think, extended uh, the, need, the, the loans until, exactly. not until September. Why not? Right yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly and, right. And, and require that people do something in return. Mm. 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 Like a work down your debt, public service, whatever. If you're in certain categories like teachers and so on, gone. Mm. Public service jobs, gone. Forgive the debt. Well, that's easy for the. I mean, I think that's an easy enough strategy for those that want to work. And well, the other one so is a decent wage for all workers. Mm. Mm. Well, this has now been debated, isn't it? You obviously mentioned the standard uh, living wage over there in the United States, seven dollars, and they're now talking about raising it to fifteen dollars. And this it's still not a living wage. It's 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 better. Yeah, there was a guy it's, on the platform <laughs> that said the American should, and he went a long way uh, toward. This notion of a living wage mm. for all Americans, mm. a living wage for Australians. Mm. In both countries, that's been talked about. Mm. So let's get the dream back. Living wages, great economy, basically built on making the future and more equity and equality. Absolutely. Well, one thing I, I want to end on, I think it's a very exciting time for the United States. And the last time, I think it's interesting to note, the last time that uh, a president was able to win away both the Senate, the House, and the White House uh, from an incumbent was FDR, away from Herbert Hoover uh, in the 30... Can't miss that. No, no. <laughs> and uh, and look, at what a, you know, look at the mess that FDR inherited in the early 1930s and look at what he did with the United States mm. uh, and how he transformed it. So, okay, maybe obvious Biden. parallels. Come on, Joe. <laughs> Joe, fireside chats. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Hey, you. Make sure to check out more in the Pacific Conversations series wherever you find good podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss a thing and check out the website, edtalks.com.au.